We're going to start off in the book of Colossians today. We're calling it the Supremacy Clause. If any of you know, uh, I don't know a lot about the Constitution. I'm not a constitutional scholar. I know there's a clause in the Constitution called the Supremacy Clause. And it basically says this, that, that if there's any other law, if there's any state law, uh, when the state law contradicts a portion of the Constitution or federal law, then the, then the Constitution trumps. It is supreme over the land. And so if you were to get into a lawsuit over a state law, because obviously states, different states can have different laws, but they all have to be in submission to the Constitution. So we can't have a law in West Virginia, which we don't have a whole lot of laws in West Virginia. Somebody say, amen. Yeah, they can't get the laws way down in them hills. <laughs> so, but if there was a law in West Virginia or anywhere that, that was contrary to the con- Constitution, then the Constitution wins every time. It's not a debate. It's the supreme law of the land. So Paul writes a letter to a little church in a place called Colossae that, that uh, a guy named Epaphras, we believe, started the church. He was a friend of Paul's and he started the church and it's just a little church. It's a small beginning church and, and they were struggling with some uh, philosophies that were coming into the church and we've talked over the last couple of months about a thing called Gnosticism. And that was gaining ground in the first century church and it would blow up in the second century. But in the first century church, it was penetrating into places like the church in Colossae. And so you can imagine this kind of frail new start to a church and then this this ungodly philosophy comes in and in short, uh, Gnosticism believed that anything physical was sinly sinful and anything in the spirit realm was good. So anything physical like enjoyment of food or any type of pleasure was, was inherently sinful. And they also held to the idea that they had this secret revelation, this extra secret revelation for salvation. They were taking stuff from Judaism, stuff from Christianity and stuff from some pagan sources. And they were just putting it all together like a big bowl of gumbo and trying to go into the church and say, now this is the new way to do this. So Paul is actually under house arrest in Rome at this time. He'll be under house arrest for two years and about AD 60, he decides under house arrest, he's got some freedom to keep spreading the gospel under house arrest. He's still able to write letters to the churches. So he decides to write a letter to the church in Colossae. It's called Colossians to combat this, this satanic influences coming into the church. And, um, He starts in chapter one, verse 15, to stake out the claim that Christ is supreme over everything. And I I need to warn you up front. This isn't probably going to be one of those. I feel so good when I come out of church this morning, but we are going to put a stake in the ground and say that there is no other name above the name of Jesus today. 
There's no other philosophy. There's no other idea. There's no other debate except Jesus. So we're going to walk through chapter one, verse 15 for a couple minutes and um, realize how much Jesus being supreme over everything really, really, really does matter. Amen. So why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 15. Say amen if you're ready. Say amen if you don't know. All right. Where there is unity, God commands his blessing. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile, In my doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above all reproach before him, if if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Father, we just thank you for this today. We pray, Lord, that as we look into your word. This is what we came for. Lord, that you convince us that Jesus is it. That he's all we need every time. Lord, transform our minds today. Renew them so that when we leave, we'd be different. Lord, we pray that there'd be fruit from us coming together and it will glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said Amen. You may be seated. Paul is facing this threat, this philosophy head on. In verse 15, he starts out with, he is the visible image of God. The problem with Gnosticism is they didn't hold that Jesus' deity, that he was God. And in any time, any time you get in conversation where it is supposed that Jesus is not God, then I can tell you the conversation is going in the wrong direction. Because anytime we diminish the fact that Jesus was and is God, we diminish all that he did after that. So Paul starts out verse 15. He said, he is the visible image of God. Now, I need to clarify something for you. Has anybody heard the term spitting image? Yeah, I don't even know where that came from. How do you spit an image anyway? But uh, maybe when you were a kid or maybe one of your kids or maybe uh, maybe you said it. Maybe you're a spitting image of your mother or you're a spitting image of your dad. 
Now, when you were a teenager, you're probably like, oh, man, come on. Now, now, you, now there's nothing you can do about it. Anybody did that face app thing back a year ago or so? Anybody do the face app? So I, I downloaded the face app on my um, phone, and I know it was some spyware. They, they already know what I'm doing. I'm not hiding it. So I downloaded it on my phone. I took a, I took a photo that I had of myself because I take selfies nonstop. Um, <laughs> so I took a photo I had of myself, and I put it in that face app thing. And I have to be honest with you, I I was like, "Ah," pulled it away. And I showed my wife, I was like, can you believe it? It looked, I could have had a driver's license of my dad put it in there. It would have been the exact same thing. It was shocking. Now I have blonde hair and he had dark hair. So his hair is gray and my hair will look like this till Jesus comes. But it was shocking. But here's the kicker. I'm not him. And if we get, we can't get tripped up on, on the, what Paul says because we, we have a certain view of when we say he's an image. He's a spitting image of his dad. I was uh, helping a friend of my granddad's yesterday. My granddad's 92 years old. And he called me last week and he said, hey, uh, my neighbor needs help. Uh, he's got a little leak in his roof. And his neighbor's a young guy. He's like 80. Um, and so I met him over there, uh, that morning, uh, yesterday morning and, and we started looking around and it ended up being a pretty simple fix. And and so I, I got the stuff and I came back that afternoon and I'm getting ready to climb up on his roof. And he said, man, I, I never realized till now how much you look like your father. I just took my tool belt off. I just walked off. I I can't believe it. He said, not that that's a bad thing but I just never realized how much you look like your dad. And I said, well, this thing's turning gray, you know, getting some wrinkles, put cream on it all the time. I have no idea why they're still there. So he, um, I'm being reminded that I look like my dad, but I'm not him. So you could say I'm an image of my father, but I'm not him. But that philosophy doesn't work in what Paul's saying here. So I don't want you to get confused. Paul is not saying that Jesus is a likeness of God. That's not what he's saying. It's not like somebody calling you a spitting image of your parents. It's not like that. Or, or Or saying you look like somebody. Jesus is not God's doppelganger. Jesus is God. Just to make sure we're all in agreement here. Jesus is God. So what Paul is saying is is that Jesus is the visible image of God. Jesus is God we can see. So that doesn't, that doesn't lower Jesus any. That, that tells us that Jesus is God visible. That's what Paul is saying. He's the visible image of God. He's not the likeness of God. He is God. So if you remember, we talked about uh, these, these kind of little instances pop up and in a bunch of sermons, the woman at the well, where Jesus says to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, God is spirit and you will worship him one day in spirit and in truth. So Jesus tells the woman, now here's the mind kind of blowing thing about this. Jesus says, God is spirit, 
but the visible image of God, God visible, is standing in front of her. Which she ends up figuring out later. So Jesus is not sort of God. He doesn't just look like God. He is God. He's, the, he's God we can see. So it says he's the visible image of God. He is God. There's no less God in Jesus. He's all God. He took the form of human flesh. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, I think it is, it says that you, you'll, you'll name him Emmanuel, which means, anybody know? It didn't say sort of God with us, a God that looks like God with us. It was Emmanuel, God is with us. So Paul says, here's something we got to get straight right up front. I know the people that are coming in are saying that they're, they're, they're trying to talk you out of the idea that Jesus is God and he's, and he's just sort of a good guy and he may be a prophet and maybe this and maybe that. He, he's sort of okay. And I know they're coming in trying to tell you that, but I need to reinforce to you today that he is God. A hundred percent. All God. Because if Jesus is not God, then the cross really doesn't mean anything. It's just a, you, you do realize that the Romans crucified a ton of people. But there was only one God they crucified. Amen? No one else had the claim. No one else resurrected from the dead. No one else under Jewish or under Roman crucifixion died and then got up three days later. The only reason that was able to happen was because he was the visible image of God. He was God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. So that's important. That's really important. Anybody have a Bible that has all the red letters in it? The, red, the words are in red. Anybody have one of those Bibles? So if Jesus is God, then what he said that was recorded was what God said. Amen? We all agree with that? Yeah. So here's where it's really important. Here's where it's really important. Because Jesus said some uncomfortable things. Didn't he? Jesus said some really uncomfortable things like, do good to those who persecute you. If you love me, obey my commandments. He said things like, I came for the sick, not for people who don't need a doctor. He said he went into the temple at that time and tipped over tables because they had turned it into a flea market. In one occasion, it says he went and fashioned a whip. Now, if, if he wasn't, if he was just a little bit God, but, but if he just looked like God, then you may be able to explain away, well, he was having a bad day. He didn't really mean that thing about Loving your neighbor. That was just, you know, Jesus ate a little bit too much garlic that day and he got it beside himself. But what, what you have to reconcile is that if everything in your Bible that's read, God actually said, then we can't ignore it. So, so here's what happens. If Jesus is not fully God, then I get to debate him. About, uh, after all, what's right for me? Lord, I know me. And I know 
you know, you can't be asking me to do that. That's not really in my wheelhouse, Lord. You know, it's not really the way I roll. It's not really. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was God. So then everything he said after, everything in red, we're responsible for. Amen? Any of you ever debate God? Um, It's a good thing we live in the age of grace. There's a book in the Bible called the book of Job, and it's a really, really, really old story about a man who suffered in a great way. The Bible says that Job, within what seems like a few minutes, his whole world collapsed down around him. A servant would come in and tell him that all his livestock had been killed. And then the Bible says before that servant got done speaking, another servant would come in. I mean, it's like rapid fire bad news. All your, all your kids have died. And, and so finally he's left at the end of the day, just him and his wife. Then he gets sick, sick to the point of the, the, the story goes that he would sit in, the, in an ash heap and scrape boils off his body. Job gets to this place in his life where he starts to debate God a little bit. And saying, how could you let me live? Why didn't I die when I was a child? Why was I, why did you even do this? Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why, why, why? Because in suffering, most of our questions start. Nobody has ever said, um, Lord, I got $10 million in the bank. Why did you do that? But it's in suffering where the questions pop up. Has anybody read the end of Job? The end of the book of Job? Isn't it fascinating? Every time I start to question God, I think about the end of the book of Job. Any time I start to debate God, I think of the end of the book of Job. Because the end of the book of Job goes something like this. God says, Job, stand up. Can I just give you a little insight? Anytime God says, stand up, I'm going to question you. That's not a good day. That's not. You're going to lose. So Job stands up. And God starts out like this. Were you there when I created everything? Did you put the stars in the heaven? Did you put the sand on the seashore? There's a thing called a levithan. It was like this big animal. Did you do any of that? Can you control him? Can you, can you, did you put him into existence? And God just goes on and on and on and on and on. And you know what Job's response was? Uh, I might have misspoke. Job realized that he had no, can I, can I say this to you this morning? Suffering does not create a basis for you to be right and God be wrong. It doesn't. No more than prosperity creates a basis for you to be right and God be wrong. Jesus is God a hundred percent. He is the authority, which we'll get into. And so whatever he says is not up for debate. Now here's the problem. Paul is writing to a church that the culture is coming into the church going, that's up for debate. That's up for debate. We need to talk about this. We don't agree with this. We don't agree with that. We don't agree with this. And Paul's going, it's not up for debate because he is God. And so anytime I get in the Bible and I find something that for Chris, you know, that I go, oh man, did we have to do that? I have to remember, I'm not God. He is. 
And I start to put myself in Job's position and I start realizing I didn't do any of this. I didn't set it in place. I didn't start it out of nothing. I haven't created anything. I can't speak and get anyone to listen sometimes. Anybody feel my pain? And yet when Jesus spoke, because John 1 tells us that by him all things were created, without him nothing was created. When Jesus spoke, out of nothing things would pop into existence. And yet we spend a lot of our lives as Christians going, God, are you right on that? Are you sure about that? You want me to do that? How could you? How could you? Come on, I've asked him that a hundred thousand times. Why'd you do that, Lord? How could you do that? What, what is going on? But don't, don't you know what you're doing? And then every time I find myself back in Job's position, it's obvious I didn't know what I was talking about. Because you're God. And any time we pull Jesus off the throne, we start to go sideways then truth isn't truth anymore. If Jesus is not God, truth is not truth. If Jesus is not God, this whole meeting is pointless. If Jesus is not God. So Paul is telling the church, I know there's a philosophy coming in here that's making you feel good, that that sounds enticing. I know this whole thing, that Jesus isn't everything, but he is. He's He's God we can look at. He's God that we don't have to guess at. He's God... Church, can I tell you this? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, Moses, Aaron, all the way up. They didn't get what you and I got. They didn't get God we could look at. They didn't get God that we could say, hey, listen, when people persecuted him, this is what he did. We have the benefit of the visible God, Jesus. We have the benefit of being able to look at him. And one day we will look at him face to face. Paul says he's the visible image of God. He is God. And then then he says this. He moves from him being God to being the creator. He said, okay, he's God. But you you have to follow follow my path of reason here. If he's God, then he also created everything. Paul actually kind of sounds like John chapter one when he says it. He says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. For by him, all things were created. John one, three says, all things were made through him and nothing was, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He is the creator. He is the creator. Now, you say, Chris, I get it. The book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created. I get it. And then we get to John chapter 1 and we find out Jesus was there during creation. And, 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 and without him, there was nothing made that was made. I get it. Like, I don't understand what all this, why, why are you so adamant? Paul was making sure the church understood that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And by the, the spoken word of Jesus, everything was made. Now watch why this is important. Verse 
Because if we can do away with the idea that Jesus is God and that he on purpose made everything, we can cheapen life. I told you you're not going to be getting up shouting today. Watch what our culture has done. The farther we move away from creation, not just creation as an event, but creation as God did it on purpose. The farther we move away from Jesus created us, the farther we move away that human life is valuable, the farther we move away from that, the cheaper it gets. Now, God did create everything. He only made a couple mistakes like with cats and stuff like that. That's the only beef I got. That's the only beef I got. I'm just looking around like, God, I have no idea what you were thinking. What? Paul realizes that if you pull Jesus out of creation, then life is not worth anything. Paul realizes that if you pull God out of creation, then we just all happened and there's no point and we just exist. And it's, and, and if you do something to me, I can retaliate because it doesn't matter because you're not worth anything because there is no, there, there's no reason for the, the, there's no holiness of the human. There's, there's nothing. It's just, it's just, we're here and then gone. We're here and then gone. And so it's pointless. So what happens is the farther our culture moves away from Jesus as the creator, the less it values human life. Some of the most popular music on the planet today devalues the worth of life. It devalues women. It devalues relationships. It devalues the worth of human life. Entertainment has, has glorified taking human lives. We could sit down with the family and watch it. Two hours of nonstop violence and call it entertainment. And I'm the, I'm the guilty one. I like the shoot 'em up bang bang things. It's fun to watch. But I have to ask myself, what are we glorifying here? What are we glorifying? If the God of all the visible image of God spoke man into existence and made you in his image, the farther we get away from that, from that principle, the less we value life to the point that our society and our world could put to death 60 million babies and not blink. If Jesus didn't create it, it doesn't have value. And we can just walk away from it. We don't have to love people because after all, what's it doesn't matter. But if Jesus was God, if Jesus is God, if Jesus created, then it makes sense that he would value the creation. Amen? That means he didn't give us the ability to debate whether it was worth it or not because we didn't create it. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, when we debate the value of life, we're becoming as the creator. Because if you made it in your backyard, then you get to assign the value of it. Amen. Now I might think it's junk because if I walk in your backyard and you built something, you're like, man, this is the best one in the neighborhood. I could walk in and go, nah, I'll give you five bucks for it. And you'll go, what? You'd be offended. 
it's at least worth 10. Because you built it, you get to assign the value. So all of a sudden, Jesus, if he is the creator, then he's the only one that gets to assign value. And yet humanity has walked up in front of him and we've screamed to the top of our lungs. It's not worth as much as what you paid. It's not worth what you paid for it because we'll take it in an instant. We, we, we don't care. We'll glorify taking it. But that's not what happened. And that's why Jesus could say, even if they persecute you, love on them. Because I made them. That's why he could stretch his arms out on a cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But I breathe life into every person standing in front of me, ridiculing me today. And I breathe life into them and I still love them, Lord. It's like when your kids get 15 or 16 year old and start mouthing off to you. And you're like, if you weren't mine, I'd beat you like a neighbor's kid. (laughs) Figuratively speaking. The trouble is Jesus is God and he is the creator and he has assigned value on every single breathing life. He didn't make a mistake. You're not some just random accumulation of cells. The Bible says before the foundations of the world, he knew you and he fashioned you in your mother's womb. The God of all creation, the visible image of God spoke life into you as an individual and knows you intimately and has planned out things for you to accomplish. And he's marked out your steps on the earth. And yet we debate whether some people are worth it or not. Paul's saying, don't let that come into the church. Don't let that come into the church. He created us. If he's not the creator, then we're going to treat each other different. You can't let that come into the church. And then he says this, he's the firstborn. The, um, in Jewish culture, the firstborn male had all the authority in the family. Like he was, he would have been responsible, uh, even when the parents got a certain age, he would be responsible for taking care of the parents. He would be responsible for managing the father's all of his goods, all of his, all of his material possessions. He would have been responsible for it. And, and Paul calls him the firstborn. He was before everybody else. He was before creation. He was before time. He was the alpha and the omega. He's before everything started. When you think back of before, before, he was before that. Where did this thing whole start? It didn't start. He just was. He was there. And so because he was before everything, it gives him authority over everything. He has authority over everything. Look at your neighbor and say, he has authority over everything. Tell him. Keep telling them until they look like they're convinced or they're just bored out of their minds. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus was before creation. He was the first in resurrection. He is the first of the church. Without him, there wouldn't be a church. Amen? Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he tells Peter this, and I tell you, Peter, you are Peter and on this rock. Now, what does he say there? I will build my church. Whose church is it? Jesus is why, because he was first in resurrection. He was before everything. He has authority over everything. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, he's talking to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you say, okay, Chris, but where are you going with this authority thing? The reason we have such a problem with living a life wholly devoted to God is, I believe, one simple word, submission. Because if I can lower Jesus just a little bit, that that means I get to debate my will with his. If I can bring him down just a little bit, then my ideas might be just as good as his. After all, pretty smart. And so every time we begin to debate with God, we pull him down off of the throne just a little bit. Every time we begin to debate with scripture and debate Jesus, we pull him down just a little bit so that we can maybe get our way a little bit. And there's this little thing called submission. And I'm telling you, there's not a person in the room that doesn't hate it. At some point in time, you may pretty be pretty pliable and you may be a personality go along to get along, but at some point in time, you're going to say, I ain't doing that. Even the peacemakers in the room have their limits. The problem is if he's the authority over everything, there is no debate. So watch this. I grew up in a house like this, that, um, you know, anybody remember getting into your teenage years and you were like, I'm going to do this my way. I'm 16 years old. Passed my driver's test on the first time. I mean, I'm smart enough to handle this whole thing. I remember as a kid, my dad, I'd get mad about something and he would say, go ahead and run away. You'll get hungry. (laughs) And he would say, you're going to come back because you're not old enough to feed yourself. So I remember growing up in a household where I realized my parents were the authority figures in my house. And the most peace in my life that I could ever experience was when I submitted myself to their authority. Come on, the light bulb just went off in some of your heads. So all of a sudden, if I disobeyed, if I didn't submit my will to my father's, peace was removed from my life with a belt. Peace, no peace. You get to decide. You get to decide. And so I grew up with with a very innate capability to determine whether there was going to be peace in my life. I could wake up in the morning and decide whether I was going to submit my will to my parents' will, no matter how much I disagreed with it. 
That's where this whole train of thought has to go. Because Jesus is God. He is the creator. And he is above and before all things. So, if I choose to debate him, I can expect less peace. Does that make sense? So I remember growing up and thinking, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to do this my way. My parents have this old school way of thinking about things, and it's not cool. And my friends are cooler than my parents. And so I want to hang out with them. Well, the truth of the matter was, none of them could feed themselves either. <laughs> 12 years old going down the creek, what do we eat? Crayfish? What are we, what are we going to do? And so I realized that if I submitted my will, teenagers, listen to me. If I submitted my will to my parents, I got fed every day. If I submitted my will to my parents, they would provide clothes for me. If I submitted my will to my parents, they would make sure I got an education. If I submitted my will to my parents, they would, I could be on their car insurance. By the way, if you're 16 years old, you're going out on your own plan. I hope you got a good job. But it was all about me submitting to their authority. Now, did I buck the system? Sure. Did I lie? Yes. Did I cheat? Yes. Did I act like I was doing it and wasn't doing it? Yes. I think they're watching. But the most peace I ever experienced was when my parents said, this is how we want you to live. And I went, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Because here's what I figured out at 15 years old. I weighed about 130 pounds and my dad was 6'1", like 230. Unpeaceful could rain down on me in an instant. Can I ask you this, church? Why, do we, why are we wrestling? Paul, from house arrest in Rome, is writing to the Colossians saying, I know it seems popular, but don't take it. I know it seems like a new way to do something, but don't believe it. Jesus is God. Come on, people. You got to believe me. Jesus is God. He is your creator. Life is valuable. Life is precious. He breathed life into us and he is the authority. Stop wrestling with him. Just submit. I know that's not a popular word in today's culture, but just submit to the will of God. Submit. When you read the Bible, when you read the red letters, don't, don't say, well, that's not popular. God, this is how peace comes into my life. It's the very definition of insanity to buck the authority and then complain about no peace. So God has set it up. In him we find peace. In him we find rest. In him we find what we need. How do we get there? Lord, I think Jesus prayed this really simple little prayer in the garden of Gethsemane when he was coming up against the idea of going to the cross. And he said, if there's any other way possible to let this cup pass before me, but yet not my will, yours be done. Jesus knew, not my will, but yours be done the great prayer the Lord's prayer 
let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, as a people who believe you are God, who believe you created us and believe you have authority over everything, we submit our wills to you today. We stop the wrestling match. We just submit. If you said it's true, we believe it's true. If you said do it, we will do it. If you said don't do it, we'll stay away from it. Lord, we submit our wills to you today. And today we want peace. Today we want your covering. Today we want your grace. Today we want your mercy. But you can't pull Jesus off the throne and get any of that. You can't pull Jesus off the throne and get peace in your neighborhood. You can't pull Jesus off the throne and get peace in your marriage. You can't debate with Jesus the validity of his creation and get peace as a result. Paul's saying, I know it sounds popular, but don't do it. He is God. He is God. Amen.